He said in verse 12, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I've served you, he said, you also ought to serve each other. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Love each other as I have just now loved you. But listen to this. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Are you ready? Verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Ah, see, now you didn't know that was coming. You knew that when you did these things and you served and you served the, the, the church and you served the pastor and you served the children and you served in the parking lot and you served in the worship team, you knew you were blessing the people you were serving. But what you didn't know is what Jesus finished this whole thing with. And he said, if you do these things, you're blessed. Oh, come on. Listen to me, church. This, I, I'm not even ashamed to say it. I've got some ulterior motives. In serving you, I, I love the Lord. Absolutely I do. So I serve him. I love you. So I serve you. But guess what? Jesus said, if I know these things and I do these things, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I said, I'm blessed. And you are too. If you know these things and if you do them, if you do to the people around you, what he's done for you. If you love them the way he's loved, if you serve them the way he served you, you're not just blessing them. You are ensuring that the windows of heaven are opened above you and a blessing's being poured out. Say amen if you believe that. Look at this back in, in chapter 15. I don't want to take a long time with this, but I believe we will get into it in the future. This is one of those messages. Notice what he said in the verses leading up to uh, where we read in verse 12, verse 13. He said in verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. So Jesus isn't just telling you to do something. He's saying, I've loved you because the Father's loved me. And I'm loving you the way the Father has loved me. He said, if you keep my commandments, what commandments? Love each other the way I've loved you. If you keep that commandment, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I, he said, I've said these things to you so that my joy stays in you and that your joy is full. He's talking about your joy, your contentment, your satisfaction, staying full. How does that happen? If you do what he said to do. If you will love each other the way he's loved us, what's it going to do for you? Your joy. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me there's joy in this serving? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, there's joy in it. As a matter of fact, there is joy found in serving each other that you cannot find anywhere else. 
And people are trying, let me tell you, they are trying to find that joy. They're trying to fill themselves with that joy and they are looking everywhere, but in the right place and the right place. You will only find that joy in doing what Jesus said, love each other the way I loved you, serve each other the way I've served you and your joy, your joy, your joy will be full. Whose joy is that? The one doing the serving. Your joy will be full. Now, the reason he said this to these guys, again, take it all with John 13, 14, 15. They are depressed. He's just told them, I'm leaving. He's just told them, I'm going to the Father and I'm not going to be with you any longer. And they, they lost it. These guys got so upset, they got so depressed. And if you look back through these chapters, Jesus is trying to give them things to, to change all that, to, to stir them up again. In John chapter 14, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Yeah. You believe in me? Uh-huh. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and where I'm going, you're going to come. And in my father's house, there's many mansions. Okay. But you're leaving. And he goes, and he tries one thing after another. He's like, look, I'm trying to tell you about heaven. And that's not exciting you. In John chapter 14, and then later in chapter 16, he's like, let me tell you about the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you about the helper that's coming. I'm not leaving you orphans, praise God. I'm not leaving you alone. You got help coming. You got comfort coming. And guess what they're going? Okay, but you're leaving. What is it they're so upset about? They think if he, love, if he leaves, love's gone. We've just seen love. We've just experienced love. We have lived with love himself for years now. And you're trying to tell us it's better for us if you go away? You're wrong. It's not better. And what Jesus is trying to say is like, look, Yes, I'm leaving, but my love's not. The love's not going anywhere. You can abide in that love. You can live in it. You can stay in it. And the same joy that we've had together for these last several years, that's not going anywhere. How do we live in that love? Love each other. He said, if you will love each other just the way I just loved you, you'll stay in it. You're not going to be missing any of that love. You won't be missing any of that joy. And isn't it interesting that this is what people are starving for? Love. Starving for joy. Real, authentic, genuine joy. They're looking for it in the bottom of a bottle. They're looking for it in bed after bed after bed. They're looking for it in money. They're looking for it in relationship. But they have not figured out that it's in, not in the selfish life, but in the selfless life. That's where joy is found. Joy that's full and overflows. So I'm excited to get into that with you, but I want to touch on one thing. Philippians 2, Romans 12. If you don't find Philippians 2, it'll be there when we're done with Romans 12. So just, it'll be all right. Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, that you present your bodies, talking about this physical, natural body, this flesh body, 
Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Living. What's that mean? Not a dead one. I cannot go to the cross. But that's not what he's asking for. He's not asking for a dead sacrifice. He's asking for what? A living sacrifice. And present this living sacrifice, this body, present it to God. What are you saying? God, I'm, I'm tithing me. I'm going to take the first and the best part of me, not the leftover part of me, but the first, the greatest, and I'm going to present it to you. I guess what you're saying is my body, his choice. Do with this body what you want done with it. Not what I want done, what you want done. I'm presenting it to you. It's yours. Present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable what? Service. Service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is so powerful. You and I can have and experience total life transformation. That's a new and better life in every area of life. But it starts with the renewing of your mind, changing the way you think. So let me ask you this. Can you still expect to experience life transformation if you refuse to change the way you think? No. If you're going to stay stuck in the way you think, you're going to stay stuck in the way you're living. Transformation comes as the result of renewing. That same word renew could be translated remodel. This is something our culture knows a whole lot about. We are really into remodeling stuff. We make whole reality shows based on it. We're going to remodel this house. We're going to remodel this car. We're going to remodel this person's body for crying out loud. I mean, we are all about the remodel. But more important than any of that stuff is the remodel of the mind, changing the way you think. And a part of any good remodel process included in it is a demolition phase. Somebody say, demo day. What do you do on demo day? You rip out trash. You rip out stuff that doesn't belong. You rip out stuff that can't support and sustain the new stuff that's going in. You got to do that same thing in the way you think. Rip out old ways of thinking. Rip out the world's ways of thinking. Rip out the natural flesh way of thinking and replace it with the word and with the way God thinks. But listen to this. Listen. Verse 3, the very next verse. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who's among you, to not think. So here's the first thing we're ripping out. To not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. That's the first demolition that has got to take place in the renewing of our mind. To not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That's where he went to work right away is on this pride and humility thing. The renewing of the mind starts with you and I not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. 
I might say it to you like this. The renewing of the mind also would include you not thinking more often of yourself than you ought to think. Could that be included in thinking highly? If your mind is constantly on you and on what you want and on what you need and on what you desire. We've already talked about it. Present this body to God. What are you saying? I'm giving it to you. It's yours to do with what you want. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. He said, but think soberly. You could say, think realistically. As God has dealt to each one a measure of of faith. Now, everything he goes on to say in these next several verses are all about the renewing of the mind and changing the way you think. He ends this up with saying, uh, don't avenge yourselves, rather give place to wrath. He talks about uh, don't repay evil for evil. That's a new way of thinking, isn't it? Don't repay evil for evil. Don't slap back when they slap you. That's a different way of thinking than the way the rest of this world thinks. But I want you to see something here included in this. Verse 9. All this is the renewing of the mind. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Giving preference. Preferring one another. That's a new way of thinking. That's, That's a very different way of thinking. The old way of thinking is prefer yourself. I got to get mine. I got to get my need met, right? I got to make sure I've got what I desire. I've got to work hard to make sure I'm fed and I feed, I put food on my table with no thought to being a blessing to anybody else. Now that's an old way of thinking that needs to be ripped out, needs to be gutted and replaced with what? This way, be kind Be affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Serving one another, you probably don't even need me to tell you this, is not a natural way of thinking. It does not come naturally, but it will come supernaturally. It will come when you get a revelation of how you've been served, how you've been loved. And the response to that is to serve each other. Philippians 2. We made reference to this a moment ago, but look at it again. Talking about Jesus. Well, back up into the first verse. Philippians 2 verse 1. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, that word is sharing, we've talked about it. If any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Paul is writing to a church. It'd be like him writing to this church. And he's saying, hey, listen, y'all, please make me happy. Nothing would make me more happy than if all y'all were like-minded. We're thinking, yeah, that's great. That's nice. Do you know what a stinking miracle it is to have more than one person Thinking the same way? You got two or more people in the same room, and that's how many different trains of thought you have. What a miracle it would be to get, I don't know, however many of us there are in here right now, to have the same thing on our mind, to think the same way, to be like-minded. Well, for all of us to be like-minded, how many of you can see right away, there's going to have to be some renewing of the mind, some changing of the way we think. Are you still with me? All right, hang on. 
We're almost, almost done. He said, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Other translations say strife. Isn't that interesting? Strife is the result of selfish ambition. Strife in a marriage exists for one reason. Two people want their needs met without being willing to serve one another. That's the root. Selfish ambition. And how many times you've seen it, we've heard it, sit down in a counseling session. I just have these needs and he's not meeting this need and it's emotional and I have this mental and I have this, this need that he's not fulfilling and he's not meeting the need. And then he says, well, I have this need and you're not meeting that need and you're not meeting this need and I have this need. This is going nowhere. This, this is not gonna produce anything good because nobody is giving anything. Everybody's just aware of their own need. Their mind is on their need. But he said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Here's a new way of thinking. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Whoo, that's not real common. Not in the world and sadly not in the church. That you look around and you think to yourself, I'm going to treat every one of these people like they're better than me. See, the world is teaching us and training us to think, ain't nobody better than you. Nobody, oh, you think you're better than me. You think you're better than me. And see, what Satan's trying to do is pit all these people against each other. Oh, you think you're better because you have this privilege. We've been hearing that word a lot. Oh, you think you're better because you have this and you think you're better. Oh, you think you're better than me? You think you're better than me? Now, how foreign is it? And what a, what a totally different way of thinking it would be to not fight over somebody being better than you, but just treating them as though they were. Didn't say they are. Just treat them like they are. Esteem others better than himself. Verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, that's his place, that's his position, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Guess what you're going to have to take off to be a good servant? Reputation. Reputation. You might have to lay some reputation aside. Even going back to my junior high days and serving, I had to lay some reputation aside to go in there and hang out with a bunch of snotty-nosed kids who were biting on you and kicking on you and spilling stuff on you. Had to lay some pride aside. Had to lay some place and position aside. Had to lay some passion aside. Had to lay some reputation aside and be clothed with something else, just like Jesus who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is what I want you to see. Verse nine, you ready? Therefore, or in light of the fact that Jesus was willing to lay all that down to Tithomy, to lay it all aside, and put something else on. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. 
God exalted Jesus, but notice the reason. He exalted him because Jesus humbled himself and made himself a servant. If God would exalt Jesus just for serving, what do you think he'd do for you? If you love the way Jesus loved, you'll get the same reward Jesus got being highly exalted. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, what happens? He will exalt you. But it's going to require laying some stuff aside. And you get to the point where you start looking for it. You start asking for it. Father, if blessings on the other side of that, exaltation, promotion, honors on the other side of that, give me somebody to serve. Show me somebody. Give me what, what can I take off? I got any pride on that I need to take off? Let's get rid of that. Huh? Do I have any high-mindedness that I need to get rid of? Let's demo that trash. Get rid of that. And I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to love like Jesus did. I'm going to serve like Jesus did. Give me somebody to serve. We're going to pray that before this is over today. But you remember, and I'll wrap it up. Musicians, you guys begin to come. In the book of Matthew chapter 16, you remember when Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, you know, some say this and some say that. And then he asked them a more important question, the most important question anybody could ever answer. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God, man. He knew it. He got it right. And Jesus said, blessed, blessed are you because flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you. You got it from my father. Glory to God. I'm going to build my church on that revelation right there. Man, Peter, Peter got praised right there a little bit in front of all the guys. Man, you got revelation from God. But if you go back and look at it just a few verses later, as a matter of fact, the very next verse it says that Jesus, from that time, from what time? The time they found out the place that he holds, he began to tell them the things that he'd have to suffer. He began to talk to them about going to Jerusalem, about suffering at the hands of the religious leaders, about going to the cross, about dying, about Tiffany laying himself down, laying himself aside. And Peter fresh on the heels of this great revelation, the Bible says he pulled Jesus aside. This is already going bad. Peter's like, Jesus, um, step into my office. I need to talk to you. And the Bible says that Peter began to rebuke Jesus. Something's wrong with this picture. Where did he get the nerve? Huh? Where did he get the boldness to rebuke Jesus. So you got to be careful. Just because he got one answer right doesn't mean everything he thinks is right. You have to stay humble. Of all the kinds of pride that there are, spiritual pride is the stinkiest. It's the worst. It's the nastiest. Spiritual know-it-alls are the worst kind of know-it-alls. Jesus, step into my office. And he began to rebuke him. And you know what he said? You see it in various translations. One translation, he said, far be it from you. One translation said, be merciful, be kind to yourself. One translation, and I believe this is in the original language, he said, pity thyself. 
have pity on yourself. What's he saying? Think more about yourself. Don't let this happen to you. Get you back on your mind. Pity. Isn't that what pity is? Self-pity. Who are you thinking about when you are deep in the ditch of self-pity? Is it other people? No. They are nowhere on your radar. In the middle of self-pity, it is you, yourself, and you. Those are the only ones on your mind. And Jesus, Bible says, turned and said to him. Now, like other translations that bring this out, it literally, it paints this picture. Just get it. They're all standing here in this group, right? Who do men say that I am? He's asking everybody. Who do you say that I am? He's asking everybody. This is all one conversation. Then he starts talking about the cross and laying down his life. Peter pulls Jesus aside, isolates him, says what he did, pity thyself. Jesus is standing here talking to Peter. One translation says, after Peter said that, Jesus turned his back to him and to Satan. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Poor Peter. I mean, five minutes ago, this guy was on top of the mountain, man. And now all of a sudden he's being used by Satan. Get behind me, Satan. His back's to him. Get behind me. Now we're familiar with that. Get thee behind me, Satan. But listen to what Jesus went on to say. For you are not mindful of the things of God but of the things of men. What's Jesus saying? How dare you try to pull me back into getting myself on my mind? I'm laying that aside and I'm not letting anything stop me from serving mankind. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.